Now we're going to, I wonder whether you've um, ever had the thought at any time, um, I'd be surprised if you hadn't, that you know, something happens you think, I'm not quite sure that this is what I signed up for. You know, have you ever had that, had that experience? Uh, we, we just came back from holiday. We, were, uh, we went to Mallorca for a week, two or three weeks ago. Uh, really, pretty much I um, thought we'd book it because guaranteed sunshine, you know? That was a great draw. Well, we arrived in Mallorca. We got to the place where we were. And, um, well, you know, there were bedraggled tourists soaking wet, walking around, you know. And you could hear the sound of kind of their feet kind of slapping on the pavements, you know, with their sandals. Because it was pouring with rain. And uh, it rained a little bit. It didn't ruin anything. We had a great time. But, you know, you kind of thought, well, hmm, I'm not sure whether that's quite what I was um, signing up for. Maybe some of you or some of us may even have had that kind of experience. You, know, you, you, know, you meet uh, somebody or maybe you even get married and you, you know, the reality of you know, some of the struggles that you think, oh, this, this is maybe harder than I thought it was going to be or you have a child or, or something like that. Uh, I, wor- I worked in a church many years ago in another uh, town and um, I remember once uh, feeling really quite excited and encouraged because... Um, uh, we produced this two-page community outreach mag, um, you know, magazine. And uh, I'd managed to get a bloke, I won't give you his real name, although, uh, but you wouldn't know him, called, I'll call him Bert. Now, Bert was a, a train driver with Great Western, with the railways uh, down there, and um, he was a bit of an awkward customer. And, um, you know, not my greatest fan, I think, you know, as a pastor of the church. But I got him to, to he, he was willing to put a little testament, a little story of what Jesus meant to him in this magazine, and uh, it was great, this little picture of him. I even got on, on his train and took a photo, he's sitting in the train, that was a bonus, sitting in, the, you know, sitting in his cab and so on. So it was really great, and uh, I remember it had gone out, and uh, on a Sunday evening, just before communion, uh, Bert came into church, and he let me have it with both barrels. He was absolutely furious, and tore me off a, a strip, because I'd, uh, he'd put a quote in from one version of the Bible, and I changed the version, you know, for editorial purposes. And I remember thinking, as I sat at the front row of the church before communion, I can't take communion. I, you know, this is, I did I, I didn't. I just, what is this? I didn't sign up for this. Maybe you've had that experience. I think pastors often have that experience. That's something that happens, and it happens in life. Now, we're following the account, uh, the Bible's account, of the story of Joseph. Joseph's story. And uh, it's part of our series called this Rediscovering the God of our ancestors. You know, as Lou said last week, knowing where you come from helps you understand who you are. Uh, and that's really true in, in terms of our spiritual ancestry as believers in, in Jesus and followers of him. And I'll tell you, we'll talk more of that later. But, you know, Joseph was a classic, um, you know, he would, would have been having a classic, I'm not sure whether I signed up for this kind of moment, as you heard last week. His, his charmed life, he had a, a really good life, didn't he? He was a, a, you know, a favorite son of his father. He had a, well, we thought until we saw last week what happened, quite a happy family uh, uh, relationships. Uh, and he had been given promises. He had a great sense of, of privilege. His father kind of loved him and had given him this amazing coat as a sign of it. He seemed to have a kind of responsibility for his brothers. And he'd even had dreams which he re- believed to be promises from God about 
what God had in future for him. He had everything in one sense going for him. But uh, as we heard, he was a bit arrogant and he was foolish in what he says and he does. does, And he found out actually that his brothers hated him. And he ends up, as you remember, almost murdered. But then at the last minute, he escapes because they've just chucked him down uh, a cistern, a, a, a deep kind of hole in the ground, whilst they had their lunch and decided what to do with him. And then a bunch of uh, uh, slave traders come by, you remember the story, and he gets sold to them. And they take him off into Egypt to be sold for a profit. Everything about his blessed life, everything that was kind of good, everything you know he thought he'd signed up for as a member of you know the patriarch's family, as member of you know as Abraham, he was Abraham's great grandson for goodness sake. And here he was, all of that is kind of disappearing, smaller and smaller. I'm going to fall off a thing, man. Smaller and smaller in the background as he trudged down the road towards Egypt. Hmm. And we read in the passage that talks about it, uh, that when he got to Egypt, it says, and we'll read it in a moment, the Lord was with Joseph. See, Joseph lived with God. Now, living with God, having the Lord with us, does not mean, does it, an easy life. In fact, it can be a bit of a mess. Joseph's life was in a bit of a mess, wasn't it? And so can our lives be. As in Joseph's case, same for us. It could be a mess of our own making. He did some pretty dumb things, but then he was only like a teenager. Some of it are things that are done to us by others. Sometimes it's just about the circumstances of living in a world where bad things happen. But it can be a mess. So here's the question. How can we know God with us in the mess? Because what Joseph's life life shows is that God is with him in the mess of it all. And God is with us if we're trusting him as we walk with him. God can be living with us as we live with him in the mess. So how can God come into your mess or my mess or our lives? How do we find that? How do we trace it? Well, let's read from Genesis 39 on page 43, and we can see what happens next in the story of Joseph. It's on page 43, and we're beginning to read at verse 1. We're just going to read to verse 6 for now and uh, see where we go. This is a really well-known story um, in the Old Testament, I'm sure you've heard it. If you've watched Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you, which actually sticks quite closely to the text of Genesis in lots of ways, you will be familiar with this. Um, it's a good one. <laughs> now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. So you notice he was taken down. You know, Joseph has got no control anymore over anything in his life. He's completely at the mercy of everything else. He's taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, and that could mean he was like a a high-up civil servant, doesn't necessarily mean he he was like, you might say, you know, the the one who looked after the guards on the gate. But um, it's a word that talks of a, a powerful and influential man in the government regime. 
Anyway, he was a captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, uh, prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. He was kind of promoted. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Wow. So what about living with God then in the mess? What can we learn from this? Well, the Lord, it says, is with Joseph in everything he did. Do you notice how that's repeated? The Lord is with Joseph. That's what the writer wants us to really grasp and get hold of. And it talks about how he was successful. He got on well. Now, I mean, what does that mean exactly? You know, how do we understand that? You know, sometimes, you know, I think, well, those of us who've read this from childhood or known it, and, you know, I used to think, like, well, was it like a bit of a kind of a magic carpet ride, you know, to keep the Egyptian analogy going? You know, was it that, you know, he just kind of floated in, you know, everything went well, everything was fine because he was kind of, you know, had this aura of, of success around him. Is that what it meant? I mean, that's sometimes how you could think of it. But if you look more carefully... It's very interesting. It talks about Joseph being successful, what? In everything he did. So he was pretty active. He did stuff. He got on with with living in this household. He's a slave in the household. He's been given a job to do, and he gives himself to that job. Joseph is kind of cooperating with with, with what he what he knows to be true, and and he's kind of working well in his job. He wants to to I don't know. I, well, I think we'll see in a minute. He wants to honour God in the way he does his job. He says that in a, in a few verses time. So he must have been aware or living with God with him. He must have mentioned the Lord. How do I know that? Well, does he see what it says about what Potiphar noticed? See what Potiphar said, he, the Potiphar realized that he's been blessed because the Lord is with Joseph. Who told Potiphar anything about the Lord? Potiphar's an Egyptian. He knew nothing about Abraham and his family. He was, you know, well, presumably Joseph must have been acknowledging the Lord in some way that the Lord was with him. Joseph is not just standing there letting everything happen. He's doing a great job and he's open about knowing the Lord. Or that the Lord is his God. He's not afraid to be open about it. He's living in the flow, if you like, of God's promises and purposes. What do I, why do I say? Well, look at verse 5. From the time he put him in charge, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was in everything. Now, now that's a t- key term. Again, do you remember Abraham? You may not remember, but you, let me tell you if you don't. Abraham... Uh, Joseph's great-grandfather was called by God to trust him and was called into a relationship with God. And God says, I, I want you to trust me, Abraham, and I'm going to bless you. That means I'm going I'm to come into your life as you trust me, uh, I, I, and I'm going to you know, not just 
touch your life, but other people are going to be blessed through you. That was the old promise. Can't you read it in Genesis chapter 12? And here, see, the writer of Genesis is saying, remember that? You know, he's saying, blessed, blessed, you know, ding, 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 you know, make that connection. Joseph knows that he knows God. He's in that relationship with God so that other people will be blessed. I think, I may be wrong, it's a bit of speculation, but it's possible that Joseph was praying for Potiphar's household. Why do I think that? Well, it might be the kind of thing you would do. But also, there's a little interesting phrase down there in, in one of these verses which says, um, the Lord blessed the household of, of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, more um, kind of literal translations you could read say, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake. And you kind of wonder whether Joseph was asking the Lord and the Lord was hearing Joseph. And because Joseph was praying, let's say that's just, uh, I may have gone a little bit too into speculation, but, but clearly the context is saying Joseph was living with God. God was with him. Joseph is trusting God and, and God is blessing the Egyptian's household. So although it's a mess, Although it's not where he's not where he thought he would be, he doesn't kind of give up. He gets on. He does a good job. He's open about his trust in God. He's looking to be a blessing. Can we do that when our lives are in a mess? Or do we sometimes think, well, it's a mess, and so that's it? You know, I, you know, not that you know we give up on God, but we just think mess and God in my life. How do those two? No, those two things can't happen. You know, we have this idea that everything's going to be fine. But here the story is telling us that it can be a mess, but God can still be with us and we can work with him. We can live for him in the mess that we may be in. Can we do that? God can be at work. Our life might be in a mess, but that's no reason to think that God is not with us. And we can you know, know stories of, of how this, um, some of us have been praying for someone who's who's suffering like Joseph did, a great injustice, uh, and is still in prison. And yet God has blessed him in that place. It's a very hard place to be. And it's not a continual sense of great success and joy. But in it all, God has used this brother. At least one guy has been to Alpha and is still in touch because he's been able to share the Lord with him. Joseph, uh, it's a terrible mess. It's not worked out. But God is with him and Joseph is working with that, living in the light of that. And maybe we can do that too. Will you do that? Know that God can be with you in the mess. Don't think that being in a mess means that that's it. Only successful lives can be lives with God in them. Don't think that. So as, and as Joseph knows that God is with him, as we know that Jesus is with us always, just as he promised to be, then, of course, the mess is all cleared up. It goes away and everything turns out fine. Is it? Well, let's read on and see what happens in verse 6, second half of verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. 
Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That's how we know that that Joseph was open about God because he, he is there. He probably had been before. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him. He's been taken again and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So everything didn't go that well, did it? It didn't go well at all. And we're going to think about how Joseph stands for God in the mess. Because, you see, it can get messier. It gets even more messy. As I say, God with us does not mean an easy life. But it does mean that he is with us whatever life may be like. Now, as we read, and it's probably one of the best known stories in the Bible in some ways, um, especially in our culture because uh, you know, we're very attracted to stories about sexual infidelity and temptation and whatnot. But uh, Joseph has problems with uh, his boss's wife. Mrs. Potiphar. And Joseph, it says, he's young, he's good-looking, he'd say he's a fit guy, uh, people might say, and she gets really, really seriously attracted to him. Um, Adultery, uh, I checked, uh, I I looked in my prep for morals in ancient Egypt, and I was quite surprised to find that... um, Unlike Roman society and Greek society, according to the book that I kind of Googled and found, um, I hope it's reliable. Anyway, anyway, it seemed it was quoting different sources. Uh, unlike the Roman and Greek society where, where kind of open marriage and, you know, it was pretty free and easy, Egyptian society was pretty kind of strict, particularly in the area of adultery. In fact, I discovered a little piece of trivia you might be interested in, that uh, uh, people who committed, well, especially women who committed adultery, as usual, women were, you know, it seems to be, you know, through history, um, you know, men are in control and so women get a harder time. So the, the, the woman um, was treated more harshly for the offense of adultery uh, than the man, and a wife who committed adultery could, could be seriously punished. And one of the punishments was to, to, they would kind of slit her nose so that she would be then permanently disfigured 
Sorry if that's a bit gruesome, but some of you may be interested in that. I don't know. Um, so that, you know, she would be, then she'd have a sign on her for the rest of her life that she had been an unfaithful wife. So I tell you this because um, it kind of gives you an index of how, how hot um, Mrs. Potiphar was for Joseph. You know, she was willing to risk all of that in order to have sex with him. Uh, and you can imagine the kind of um, pressure that Joseph is under. It must have been a temptation to him. But he resists. He stands for God. You see, in the mess, he stands for God. And that's the point I want us to get a hold of. Now, I thought we can't uh, leave this without asking the question, well, okay, what can we learn about resisting sexual temptation? Because that's something that I guess all of us may uh, face in one way or another. So a few quick things about that you can take home if you, if you want or think about. Actually, it applies to all temptations, really, but particularly this one. Notice, first of all, I think a very interesting thing about Joseph is that he, he doesn't use the mess he's in as a kind of a, an excuse to give in to temptation. You know, would it would have been easy, wouldn't it? Are you here? Well, if, if you knew what my life was like, you know, if you knew what I had to deal with, if if you knew, you know, this what I was struggling with in in this or that, then then you know, you'd know that you know I I couldn't help it. I had to go that way because you know everything else gave me that reason to 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 do something that was wrong. Well, Joseph is not like that. He's saying there's no excuse to cave in. That's one thing. Don't, the fact that it's a mess is not a reason, an excuse to cave in to something that is wrong and goes against God's uh, will and best for us, his law. Secondly, he's very decisive. You know, the answer, he says to Mrs. Potiphar, is no. He doesn't say, well, let's talk about that. Let's go out and have a coffee and talk it over. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm ready for that kind of commitment or whether you are. Um, you know, I, let, let's have a conversation uh, about that. Or, I'm, yeah, I just need to go and pray about this, you know, or, or whatever. No, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, uh, he, he's quite clear on that. He just says no. You know, once you start or I start, and I guess if we're all honest, we know this, Once we start negotiating with temptation, especially sexual temptation, we've pretty much lost the battle before we start. Not necessarily, but it's a very bad thing to do. Don't negotiate with temptation. The answer is no, says Joseph. That's something maybe we can take home. Don't negotiate with what you know to be wrong. Say no and act like it. But more than that, he's got reasons to be pure. He knows why this is out of the question. He knows why giving in to the demands or the encouragements or the seductions of Potiphar's uh, wife is a very bad thing to do. And he kind of articulates that. He says that to her. He says, no, I'm not going to do this because he says um, there will be damage to relationships here. He says, you know, I will damage the relationship I have with your husband. You know, there will be, you know, there's going to be a great deal of harm. Damage will come from this if I give in. Maybe, you know, he did. He would probably have, you know, been attracted to her himself. But he says, no, I'm not going to go that way because of the damage to relationships. Damage to relationships is always an outcome of sexual sin. 
It always is. It will also damage his relationship with God. Verse 9. How can I do this against God? So we need to know the truth. Despite what the culture says. And the culture would say that anyway, wouldn't it, as it were. You know, and, and despite what you might want, and despite all the desires you may have, we need to know the truth about sexual temptation. It has destructive power on our relationships. Or the relationships of the, the, the her or the him that you get with. Either in the present or possibly in the future even. And it will damage our relationship with God. And it's good to make this clear and to be clear about it. And it's interesting, Joseph does it out loud. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's good just to speak that truth, to articulate it. You know, sometimes if you're struggling with things in your head, and who of us has not struggled with those kind of things, is to actually say, no, I'm not going to go that. I, I, I resist this thought because I know it will damage my relationship with God. I know that this will be a damaging thing for other people. So I'm not going to even consider that for a moment, even if it's in your head or in your kind of uh, the, what you say to your soul, if you like. No why, no reasons to be pure. And then the other thing, of course, um, Jacob, uh, sorry, Joseph does is he keeps on saying no. Because she keeps coming back to him. And you can think of the pressure on him. It must have been horrendous. Day after day it was. And he keeps saying no. I'm sorry, no is still the answer. And again, I don't know whether this is true. I mean, I, I could certainly see it in some ways in my own life. But, but, you know, you can say no to something. And then, you know, because you've kind of won a little victory before, you kind of credit that and next time temptation you say, well I said no before well so maybe I you know do, do, uh, maybe that's but the point you know no it's don't give in to temptation because you were uh, 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 I'm going to say successful because you, we were able to resist before doesn't mean that you've kind of got a credit and you can be a bit lax bit, you know give yourself a bit of a break <laughs> next time anyone recognize that anyway you don't have to nod I won't. No. no is still the answer. And then finally, again, Joseph might help us here. He has an avoidance strategy. Now, in some things in life, avoidance is not necessarily a good idea, um, as uh, counsellors may tell us when we're, we're facing up to issues. But in things like sexual temptation, avoidance is a very good idea. So Joseph basically gets himself out of the context as much as possible. He says he refuses to even be with her. He, you know, he, he basically tries to ensure his whole working life means that he never is in the kind of place where Mrs. P is, you know, um, you know draped across the chaise long or whatever it is, however it was she was. Sorry, my mind's going too far. So these are all ways, perhaps, that we can say no. We can stand for God under pressure, in the mess. Because just because our life is in a mess doesn't mean that Satan thinks, oh, his life's in a mess. I'll give him a break. I'll stay off because I understand he's having a hard time. That's not how the enemy works. That's not how, how spiritual warfare works. In the mess, we stand. We stand for Christ. We stand against temptation. But what happens? 
Well, once again, it gets even worse for poor old Joseph. He ends up falsely accused. And his faith is used as part of the accusation. Did you notice that? You see, Mrs. Mr. P, Potiphar, certainly got the blessing. He knew that God was in his household and that God was somehow blessing him through Joseph or because of Joseph. Unfortunately, Mrs. Potiphar didn't get that at all. And in fact, when she accuses Joseph, she says, this Hebrew slave, this Hebrew. Now, uh, not time to go into the of this, but the word Hebrew is an interesting word. It, it kind of has, has the kind of, it, people think it came from the idea of wandering around. Because you know, that's what the families from great-grandfather Abraham's time, right up until now, had been kind of doing. But it was interesting. Abraham, great-grandfather Abraham, was always known as, known as Abraham the Hebrew. That was how he was known. He was known, uh, as far as we know, we don't know very much, but around the ancient world, he would have been known as Abraham the Hebrew. So this might be a kind of reference, might not, but, but that basically he's a Hebrew, one of Abraham's crowd. Look, this, this guy, he's a bad man. Get rid of him. And of course, that's what happens, isn't it? Joseph Lee loses it all again. Once again, the mess gets even messier. Now, he could have been executed again. It's possible. But, uh, and some of the scholars, um, or one, one of the scholars I read said, uh, Potiphar possibly uh, only puts him in prison, puts him in a, possibly a very good prison. I don't know. It's prison is prison. It's awful wherever it is. But it was the king's prisoners. And as we'll see next week, he meets some interesting people there. But that's next week's uh, account. But um, it could be that Potiphar kind of knew that it wasn't all Joseph's fault, or, but kind of got, got uh, treated him more mercifully. But anyway, there he is in jail. Let's read what happens next. Verse 20, second half verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. So what happens here? He continues to live with God in the mess. If you compare the words of the last few verses and the first few, it's almost exactly the same. The circumstances have changed, but Joseph keeps living with God. God is still with Joseph in the mess of it all. Our circumstances may be messy, We may think that's not what we signed up for. Again, that's what happens to Joseph. And some of us know that that experience, you know, something awful happens and you think, oh no, you know, surely it can't get worse. And then it does. And uh, it did for Joseph. But God is still with Joseph. And Joseph is still living for God, just as he did before. Does his job, you you know, uses the gifts he's given, Presumably with a generosity of spirit and he kind of raises through the ranks to be a trustworthy member of the prison kind of 
uh, offender management committee group or whatever it was, you know, he was part of. What's your mess? Well, ask God to show you how he's in it with you. Live for him in that. Stand for him in that. Don't lose it to temptation. You see, that's what our spiritual ancestors did. They lived with God. They trusted God. And that trust, well, faith is what the Bible calls it. That is in our spiritual DNA. How do, what do I mean by that? It's what believers do. Well, you know, do you remember that Jesus, he came, he said, to, to bring us into God's family. He came so that we could become children of God. That we who, you know, as Gentiles were kind of way outside of God's purposes to be kind of into relationship with God again. So we can be God's children. And when we repent and, uh, from our sin and trust Jesus, give our lives to him, then we're born into this new family, God's new family. We become part. We become part because, because of what Jesus has done for us. We become part of this kind of line of, of, of people who have trusted God through history. And we're linked not only to brothers and sisters. That's why we have a church family. We're all brothers and sisters. We've all trusted Jesus, or, or I trust that we all will if we all haven't yet. But anyway, you know, that we're all on journeys and whatnot. But, but you know, we have brothers and sisters who trust Christ too. But we also, I believe, that the book of Genesis is telling us is that we're like a, a family that inherits God's blessing or God's promise to bless us and make us a blessing to other people. That's how we're linked to Joseph's story. We trust the God that he did. We live a life trusting God. It's our kind of our spiritual family heritage. And the God who was with Joseph in this circumstances is the same God who is with us. That's why he's called, did you notice, God is called in these passages the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters. Uh, those of you who, who know these things will know that. That is the, the name in the Hebrew for, for God's special covenant name, Yahweh. Now that name was not revealed until Moses came along. So uh, Joseph would not have known God as Yahweh. Joseph wouldn't have known that the God of his, his, his uh, great-grandfather uh, was the God who had covenanted himself in the way that Moses was, he, he revealed himself to Moses to be. But Joseph, you know, but, the, but the writer is saying, that Lord, that God, that living God who has a plan and a purpose, to, to, whose son will come and die on the cross and be raised again from the dead, that God who will be you know, working in the lives of his people right through history is the God who is with Joseph in that circumstance. And he's the God who is with us too. It's a little hint of what's going on through the use of the word Lord. So, you know, if you don't know this yet, then Jesus invites you to come into this family of blessing. Whoever you are, as you turn from sin, as you turn from living your own way and give your life to Christ, then you become part of this family. If you like, Joseph becomes your spiritual ancestor. Um, much more importantly, Jesus becomes, as it were, your Lord and Savior.
If you want to know more about that, there's some people we can, who pray with folks on the back corner afterwards or have a chat with one of us who's been on the stage. We'll tell you more. Or go to Alpha. I think, is Alpha open to visitors still? Yeah. Either on Wednesday morning um, or on Monday evening. So we can live with God in the mess. We can bring it to him. We can look for ways to live with him and stand for him against the pressure to give in to temptation. Sure, we focus on sexual temptation and that's what this passage is about. But there are not, that's not the only one. It could be honesty. It could be a mouth out of control. It could be not forgiving or refusing to love someone. It could be loving something else instead of God. Anything. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there are things in your life and in mine where the Lord would have us say no and stand for him. We can live with God in the mess. We can stand for God in the mess. Let's Let's commit to do that with his help as we go into this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promise to be with us. We thank you that we see it in Joseph's account. We thank you that we uh, see it in Jesus' promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age. We thank you that we see it in your word that says the Lord uh, will not leave us or forsake us. He is our helper. And we pray, Lord, that we may know this, especially in the mess of our lives. We pray, Lord, that we may bring to you that disappointment or injustice or tough situations. We pray that in these things, where it just doesn't seem to be working out how we want it, that, Lord, that we will find you to be the God who is with us and that, Lord, though the circumstances may be hard, we pray for that sense of your blessing and fruitfulness on our lives. And Father, we pray that we will live for you, that, Lord Jesus, we may be your people, that we may be a blessing to others, that we may be open about what you mean to us, that we may resist temptation, and that we may just know this week that whatever the circumstances, you are with us, And we can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.